Superman, wh why did you put my Supergirl robots away again? Because you won't need them yet. Your experiment on Terra failed. You'll see why if you focus your supervision across space into the main library of Macropolis. See? That book tells all about the icebergs that burn, and all about their sinking bridges. I got it, Superman. My biggest boo-boo was not studying the differences between Earth and Terra right away. Yes, Supergirl. Whenever I visit a strange civilization, I always get full information at one of their libraries first, so that nothing can take me by surprise. Welcome back, everybody, to the fifth episode of Supergirl Power Hour, where we are covering the Maid of Might's adventures through the Silver Age. This episode, we will get into the grand year of 1961 as we cover about six issues of Supergirl's adventures. I am Corey, and with me is my secret helper, James. And our first story is Supergirl in Smallville. This story was in Adventure Comics number 278, published in November of 1960. The cover was by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay. The story was written by Otto Bender and drawn by Al Plastino. And the opening splash page to this is Linda painting a portrait of her and Superboy flying through the air to the delight of Ma and Pa Kent. As Pa Kent thinks... Oh, it sure is great to have a super son and a super daughter. But it won't last. It's too good to be true. Because Pa Kent has been around long enough to know how a Supergirl story ends. And we all know how most Supergirl stories open, and that is with some sort of hijinks that only Linda can solve at the orphanage. And this time it's an orphan who forgot to plug in her iron... So she can't iron her dress before the people that might want to adopt her come. So Supergirl heats up the iron so that she can have nice wrinkle-free clothes that also seem to beam radiant light. Yeah, we, like, we've talked about audible winks and audible shame in the previous story. This is a clear case of audible adoption. Linda runs off crying because she can't be adopted because Superman won't let her. But then she gets the idea of going back in time to troll Superboy by living with his foster parents and proving to herself that she can keep a secret. Yeah, Kara gets into a lot of weird contests with herself in these stories, which is very disturbing considering the fact that she always loses. Well, I mean, you can't beat yourself, James. This is a family show. And immediately on, showing up at the Kent family homestead, Linda announces herself, and rather than calmly explain her situation to the Kents, or perhaps, you know, show off her superpowers by levitating above the air, or performing some good deed, she instead decides to horrify the elderly with her terrifying eye beams. She blasts a wave of heat vision inches away from Pa Kent's face into his pipe, lighting the tobacco that will one day take him from Superman. 
Now, now, James. Pocket doesn't die from cancer. He dr- dies from some mystery alien illness, if I remember right. They just didn't want to break the news to Superboy that all those years of lighting his father's pipe did him in. And then she rips away her shirt to reveal her Supergirl costume underneath and explains that she is from the future where she lives in an orphanage, which, you know, should make Ma and Pa Kent question why she doesn't live with them. <laughs> or why their son would do that to his only cousin. Right. It's like, oh, God, we've created a monster. Pa Kent just pulls out a shotgun. I've got to nip this in the bud. It ends with us. So she tells them that she wants to hide her secret from Superboy to convince Superman that she can keep the secret and get adopted. So Pa Kent comes up with the idea to introduce her as a visiting niece, Linda Kent. Because Superboy's apparently just so self-centered, they can just make up relatives and they'll be like, oh yeah, I met her once. Which is pretty much what happens. Superboy pops out of his weird smuggler's tunnel with more ill-gotten booty. (laughs) This time being... What looks like a high school football trophy that he claims the police chief gave him for helping keep crime down. He actually stole it from Tinyville High, which is Smallville's rival school on the other side of Kansas. You didn't beat the Aggies, Superboy. So realizing she's goofed by standing around whenever the ever-present threat of Superman is around, she immediately ducks into a closet. In his trophy closet. Only to find herself surrounded by Superboy robots. Which I have to say, if you are Linda Lee, that is the worst nightmare you can have. Trapped in a closet surrounded by Supermans on all sides. And I feel like there is a labored trapped-in-the-closet scenario we could go through, but tonight I just don't have the energy for it. Um, my biggest takeaway from this is that Superboy keeps the bullets that flatten against his chest as trophies. Which is horrifying. <laughs> look, at, look at all these trophies of how I can never die. <laughs> never die. So, I will be here when the world is ash. Where's that pot roast, Markent? Linda spills said bullets all over the floor so that she can escape from his trophy closet. She's learned enough about Superman to know about his lifelong battle with OCD. He's like one of those Indian vampires that has to count every bit of rice you drop on the floor. And so she escapes, changes into her civilian clothes, and walks in the front door with a suitcase. And Superboy whispers to Ma Kent that even family can't know that he is Superboy. And she thinks to herself that she already knows, but he can't know that she's Supergirl, so... I like how this is the some kind of bringing up baby-esque like Catherine Hepburn romantic comedy situation. But he knows that I know that she knows that they know that I'm Supergirl. And she almost slips up by mentioning television that doesn't exist yet. Even though I'm sure Superboy has had many adventures with the Legion by now, so... Technically, he knows that TV exists, but Linda doesn't know that Superboy knows that TV exists, and I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> the next day, Linda goes shopping in the Kent's variety store. Because that's a thing that the Silver Age Kent's did, is owned a variety store. And Linda is thrilled by Depression-era department store displays. Like she sees a giant cardboard cut out of lipstick, and is like, oh gosh... This advertising display for flame lipstick almost looks real. Just a look of delight on her face. Like, Linda's life is so boring that traveling to a small town in the 1930s is like a day at an amusement park. And then it does become all too real as an electrical fire makes the display catch on fire. 
And just before her secret identity is revealed, Superboy saves her and keeps her identity secret, unbeknownst to him. He then flies her away, and as they're flying, Linda turns to the reader, holding her mouth while giggling at all the subterfuge going on. And I swear to God, it took me a good 15 seconds of looking at that panel to realize that that was her hand covering up her face and not Superboy's. Because for a split second there, it just looks like he's flying her through the air, covering her mouth, just about ready to drop her at any moment. And sadly, that wouldn't be surprising. It's time to see if bullets bounce off you, cousin Oh, cousin The next day, Superboy is patrolling and sees some kids building a fort out of rocks, but they have to run away because there's a lightning storm. So Superboy tells them that he will finish their fort. Because Superboy's chief mode of entertainment in the Depression is stealing fun times from frightened children. But, alas, one of the rocks that they were going to build their fort out of was a chunk of kryptonite. Now, we've had bills for absurd dumbbells and audible winks. Can we officially have a bell for, oh no, that rock is really kryptonite? Yes, especially for this episode, James. Like, at this point, I'm just going to assume anytime I go outside and see a rock, probably kryptonite. And uh, so Superboy summons one of his robots to save him from the kryptonite. And there's a lovely moment where... You see the stoic robot flying out the window, and off-panel, Pa Kent says, A Superboy robot is flying out. Is my son in trouble? (laughs) I just love how that's the Silver Age version of getting the phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. What is it? Oh no, the Superboy robot is leaving. I was told there would be no drinking at that party. And so, like we said before, there's a lightning storm going on, and, of course, by Silver Age happenstance... The Superboy robot is struck by lightning and twain in two, because that's what happens when a robot's struck by lightning, is it just gets cut in half. Well, there are only two major pieces to a Silver Age robot, front and back. And so Supergirl goes and finds the two pieces that are just coincidentally lead-lined, <laughs> and puts it on like a suit... Stop wearing your cousin's skin, Supergirl. This is not the first time a plot point has hinged on Supergirl climbing inside of a mechanical Superman. No, it's not. And I'm almost positive it probably won't be the last, unfortunately. Are you proud of me now, Clark? I am you. So she returns home and fixes his robot and then has to distract the dog because the dog might recognize her even though it hasn't technically met her yet. Linda sees Crypto and says to herself Oh dear, Crypto returned from space to visit Superboy. That super dog met me in the future. If he recognizes me now, he might give me away to his master, Superboy. And if he tells the Legion, then they'll travel back in time and they'll tell me not to come here and that'll create a time paradox that will swallow the very universe. (laughs) So she chucks a stick out into space, and Crypto chases it, thinking that it was Superboy who threw it. Then we see Superboy fixing the foundations of Midvale Orphanage. As Supergirl thinks, Superboy is fixing the ruined foundations of Midvale Orphanage. He'll never foresee that Linda, Supergirl, Lee, will live there in the future. (laughs) 
because Linda has to remind herself that she is, in fact, Supergirl in her own private thoughts. Well, wouldn't you, James, if you were Supergirl? I would. And then Linda almost gets hit by a drunk driver and stops his car with her super strength and then runs inside a dance studio, takes off her skirt, leaving behind her Supergirl shirt, and takes off her wig so that she looks like a completely different girl, which is much more believable than a pair of glasses. She's she's up the disguise game on Clark already. And the drunk driver just thinks that he's confused and runs back to his car and drives away. And because it's a small town in the 1930s, he's elected mayor a week later. Probably. And then the last little bit of uh, super feats that we get is Supergirl saving a blimp by boiling the water of the lake to make it... Uh, to make it fog so that it hides her activities. Be specific, Corey. It's a hot dog blimp. A blue ribbon hot dog blimp, yes. So there's a panel of Supergirl with all of her might pushing a gigantic hot dog. (laughs) That Uh, says hot dogs on the side. And then she flies back in through the open window, which makes her entire quest to the past fail. Because that could have given away her secret identity had their neighbors not been away on a trip. Goodness, I... I goofed! And so she returns to the present, and we get the standard Supergirl ending of I can never be adopted and tears. One very important thing, though, is that as she's traveling through time space, she thinks to herself, Mom and Dad can't promise never to tell Superboy I visited him and flunked my big test. The humiliating secret will die with his parents. Uh. I just like to think that at one point, Linda went to the graves of Ma and Pa Kent and thought, You never told. Oh, she does that every Saturday, James. That's just... Wait a second. How do we know that Linda's time in the future did not give her access to a space virus, one that could easily be smuggled into the past to prevent her shame from ever being discovered by Cousin Superman. I I think you are making Supergirl more nefarious than she needs to be there, James. I mean, you could conceivably say that Silver Age Supergirl comics are the most elaborate supervillain origin of all time. This is true. And speaking of supervillain origins, next story up, we have Supergirl's Fortress of Solitude. This was in Action Comics number 271, published with a cover date of December 1960, written by Jerry Siegel, drawn by Jim Mooney, so the standard Supergirl team of the time. And uh, it opens at the orphanage with Supergirl saving Streaky from a blue-spotted dog. Which I still am convinced is just crypto in a poor disguise. Because that, that, those do not look like spots. Those look like he was in a fire of some kind. <laughs> this is just crypto after he came back from that stick. And then we get a brief flashback of Streaky's origin. And Supergirl puts his cape on him to remind him of a time when he was Supercat. And then we get a panel that shows Superman leaving Earth for several weeks. And Supergirl's like, party. I'm going to leave the orphanage and go to the store. No, she's going to leave the orphanage and make her own fortress of solitude. 
out of jet parts from crashed airliners. I, I don't like the weird symbolism of Supergirl making her fortress out of garbage in the desert. Yeah, she makes it in the de- in the desert and puts it underground and then immediately flies off planet to go collect decorations for her home rather than, you know, coming by it naturally over years like Superman does. She just decides to go and collect them all at once. Yeah, Supergirl goes shopping to decorate her fortress. And after she constructs it, she takes us on a little tour. And the first thing we see are the three statues that are the centerpiece of her fortress. One of herself that says Supergirl. One of Superman that says My Cousin. And one of herself as Linda Lee that says Linda Lee, My Secret Identity. I'm sorry, Supergirl, but at this point, you deserve to be attacked by the Black Mercy. (laughs) (laughs) That will not happen for many more years, James. But does she just walk past that sometimes and think, I really am, Linda Lee? Uh, I do love the look of that Linda Lee mannequin she's got going on. Like, she's got a little smart outfit. Yes, it is. working girl. Yes, it is a much better outfit than the things that she normally wears. And besides her identity chamber, she also has a model replica of Argo City, the lead-lined metropolis that was flung from the planet Krypton only to die a second time. Well, that's that's just sad. It's Supergirl, Corey. It's always just sad. And then the next room is her mermaid friends, where we get an anime blush. As Kara thinks about the first time she met Jero, and the time he telepathically read her mind to discover her embarrassing crush. And I just think it's very appropriate that, while Superman's fortress is a museum of his greatest accomplishments, Supergirl's commemorates her greatest moments of sadness. Yeah, it it really does. Meanwhile, back at the orphanage, speaking of sadness, Streaky finds his magical ball of yarn, which has the ex-Kryptonite in it, and gets his superpowers back, and promptly causes an earthquake in the Sahara Desert as he bursts through the wall like the Kool-Aid Man. Oh, yeah! And, uh, then we get to see yet another room of Supergirl's Fortress, which is Streaky's Playroom, which has giant rubber spears, otherwise known as bouncy balls. Take that, you bouncy menaces! And that! And that! But all this exertion is too much for Shrieky as he once again falls to the ground, the ex-Kryptonite wearing off. And it's at that point that days later we meet Professor Damon Brandt and his archaeological exposition arriving at the very spot where Supergirl's fortress is buried. According to my calculations, the ancient tomb is here. Well, start digging immediately. This is no ancient tomb. Look! Gentlemen, we have made a staggering discovery. This is the secret home of Superman's cousin, a Supergirl masquerading as orphan Linda Lee in Midvale. Until now, her very existence has been unknown. I'm sorry, Kara, but honestly, did you think this was ever going to go another way? Do you think Superman has a uh, a Clark Kent statue in his Fortress of Solitude that says, Clark Kent, my secret identity? Yes. Next to a statue of Lois that says, Ha ha, dumb Lois. (laughs) And then just a pile of rocks with a plaque in front of it that says, Supergirl. I'm sorry, Supergirl, but you haven't proven yourself worthy enough for a statue. So, Professor Brandt 
tells the other two archaeologists that they have to be hypnotized to forget this so that they can't leak out the existence of Superman's secret weapon. Because using the telepathic powers of patriarchy, they all instinctually know that Supergirl must be kept a secret so she can be Superman's secret weapon. And the other two instantly agree, so he hypnotizes them. Because all archaeologists are trained in the art of hypnosis. And self-hypnosis. I swear to God, that's a lie. I will hypnotize myself afterwards through self-hypnosis. Yes, although he doesn't, we find out, (gasps) as he returns to Metropolis and tells his wife about Supergirl, because he is going to use her as a get-rich-quick scheme, because he knows who she really is. But I was told that archaeologists were pure of heart. Have you met Indiana Jones? I mean, he was only bad in Temple of Doom. Even then, only in the introduction. Anything goes, Corey. His wife instantly agrees and says that we'll pretend to love her and then trick her into making us rich. How smart. So they go to Midvale Orphanage, and we get a sequence of them trying to adopt Linda as she tries to, in typical Supergirl fashion, burn meatloaf and play the piano poorly in order to keep herself from being adopted. It wasn't meatloaf that she burned this time. It was cereal. And I like to think it was standard Lucky Charms style cereal, not like oatmeal or something. Just because that makes it even funnier. Oh no, I burnt the Cheerios. (laughs) Well, it turns out I like burnt Cheerios. Because that's all Professor Brandt does. He just says, well, I like that thing that way. And then thinks to himself, I have outsmarted her again. And this is played like Batman meeting the Joker. Supergirl's arch nemesis is the persistent parent. (laughs) So they do adopt her, and they give her a bunch of new clothes, and they take her on a roller coaster, and then they set their con in motion. Because her dad mentions that all of his expeditions are expensive, and he needs to have money to sponsor them. So Supergirl goes and makes some diamonds... And leaves them on the doorstep. Like with a little note saying, good luck on your projects. Oh, thank you, Science Santa. And then the professor again acts sad because he wants to fund other expeditions for other scientists as well. So Supergirl again goes and collects rare rocks, this time pearls, and leaves them again on the doorstop with a note. That's not enough for Professor Brandt. Now he has an ambitious scheme to explore outer space, but needs billions of dollars to fund it. At this point, Linda has had enough of his crap. It's like, ah, if you give a mouse a cookie, Supergirl. Because she's like, well, actually, you know, governments are working on this, so maybe you better leave it to them. And bringing the government into it is too much for Professor Grant. I want billions, Supergirl, and you're going to give it to me, or I'll expose your existence on this world. And then he explains how he stumbled across her fortress, and now he's going to blackmail her into giving him as much money as he wants. And he claims that if she makes him the richest man on Earth, he will willingly submit to a hypnotic suggestion to forget about everything. So Linda goes back in time and steals a gold statue from a an evil tribe of savages, and she makes it very clear that she is stealing the golden statue of an evil pagan murder god. Not one of the dignified, all-American pagan murder gods who deserve our respect. 
like Santa Claus. I mean, I'm just very concerned. Like, was this an editorial note? <laughs> like, they had to make sure that Kara was not seen desecrating a legitimate false idol. Since she can't take it through the time barrier with her, she buries it in the desert by her fortress so that she can come back to it in the future and unbury it. And then she steals loot from Genghis Khan. In a badass panel where she's just throwing all of their treasure into a sack while they're battling her and she's not even paying attention to them. She has an arrow in her butt, but doesn't seem to notice. It's like, hell yeah, Supergirl. So she returns to the present, builds her foster parents an emerald palace. This emerald palace is yours. I built it and filled it with treasures that stagger the imagination. And then, like a true supervillain, Professor Brandt then reniges on his promise, only for Streaky to appear out of nowhere. Oh, Supercat! And a band of Arabian bandits shows up at the same time to attack the fortress. I just want to know, were Arabian sand pirates a big concern in the early 60s? Because they seem to pop up a lot in comic books. And Streaky uh, uses his supervision to look outside, right past the foster parents, who we then find out that because he's a cat and doesn't really know how to control his supervision, he lobotomized them. Yeah, Streaky has the power to give people brain damage with his heat vision. <laughs> I'm not sleeping tonight. I don't know about you, Corey. And so now the foster parents don't remember anything. So Supergirl wraps herself in gold. <laughs> Making herself the false idol. And steals the Emerald Palace before the Arabians can raid it. I want to know how many religions sprang up from that act. <laughs> and then the golden goddess removed the palace of sin from our land, never to return. And then drops the palace in an unexplored area of the desert and flies the two, uh, the two foster parents home, where they take her back to the orphanage because they're well within their 30-day trial period, and return her. And in the most horrifying sequence of events, the headmistress of the orphanage says how glad she is that Linda is back to being an orphan. <laughs> I was so worried you'd be happy without me. <laughs> like, and... And now that Superman is back from his trip in outer space, he comes home to find Linda destroying the Fortress of Sadness with her heat vision. And she says she's doing this because she can't risk anyone ever finding it and discovering her secret identity again. To which I say, you could have just taken down the mannequin. Or you could take a page from Superman's book and make it so that nobody can enter it without a giant key that nobody but you and Superman can lift. I don't like how Supergirl has reached the point where she's a self-propagating sadness machine. Like, she doesn't even eat Superman anymore. She ruins her own life at this uh, point. Luckily, we are getting closer and closer to the point where that's not going to be true. I'm rooting for you, Supergirl. So, our next story is Lois Lane's Secret Helper, which had a cover date of January 1961 in Superman number 142. It was written by Otto Bender and drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. Now, this story is technically not a Supergirl story. This is a crypto story, and her appearance in it is brief. 
But we're mentioning it both for the sake of completion and because this story is magical. <laughs> this story is amazing. Like, Supergirl appears on the first couple of pages. Um, specifically, what happens is Crypto has a daydream where he is being petted by a super baby as Superman and Lois canoodle on a couch. And Crypto thinks to himself that he must make this dream come true and flies away to meet up with Supergirl. And they fly past the Lane apartment where Lois and Lucy live and hear Lois crying about how Superman will never love her. And Lois is holding a photograph of Superman in her hand where he's just scowling. It's like, oh, that beautiful man of mine. And Supergirl mentions how both Lori Lamaris and herself have tried to hook them up, but failed. And Crypto's like, well, that's because this is a job for Superdog. And Kara knows that Crypto is planning to play matchmaker now because her super intuition allows Supergirl to hear Crypto's thoughts. <laughs> now, we've heard mention of super intuition before, it's what's allowed Kara in the past to tell the difference between super broads. But now, this is a significant power boost. It has been amped up to canine telepathy. Like, Spider-Man wishes his spider sense was like this. So, Crypto, determined to do this, and it is the most determined dog face I have ever seen in this panel. It really is. Props to that artist, because that is a dog with a mission right there. He decides to go around Earth and look at the customs of love throughout the planet. And the first thing he does is he sees a couple on a gondola, and they are getting serenaded by the gondolier. And he thinks, well, maybe that's what is needed. Superman just needs to be around Lois when she gets serenaded. So Superman and Lois are sitting on a park bench, and Crypto draws some songbirds away from a sleeping old man by using his bird seed to lay a trail like Hansel and Gretel. He needed those to live. <laughs> and sure enough, the songbirds start singing, and Superman starts getting romantic, and then a bunch of cats attack. And Superman is so offended by the sight of these cats, he just flies away, saying, Forget what I said, Lois! And so Crypto has to think of another way to hook them up. So he flies around the Earth some more and sees a couple that have been shipwrecked. <laughs> and they fell in love while shipwrecked on the island. So Instead of saving them or anything, <laughs> Crypto just thinks, ah, that's what they need to be shipwrecked on an island with no hope for rescue. So in a bit of lucky coincidence, Clark and Lois borrow Perry White's motorboat yeah, we once again return to the hive of debauchery that is Perry White's pleasure schooner. And Crypto shipwrecks them <laughs> by causing a giant tidal wave by wagging his tail. Wait, no, no, super wagging his tail. It's a very clear distinction, Corey. I'm glad you caught that. And what follows is quite possibly the most cynical depiction of courtship I've ever seen. Because Lois is outraged that she's marooned on this island with Clark Kent, thinking, some girls get shipwrecked with a He-Man, I get marooned with a sissy. So Crypto then knocks over a pine tree, dropping coconuts onto the ground. Lois thinks that that's Clark, and suddenly, ooh, that 
Clark Kent doesn't seem so bad. What I like is that you could make the argument that, okay, this is Crypto's idea of how human courtship works. He's an animal. Of course he thinks, oh, Clark gives Lois some coconuts. They'll fall in love. But the thing is, it works. Except that Clark is rebuffing her advances, so Crypto decides to start an earthquake, which throws Lois into Clark's arms, and Crypto, immediately with glee in his eyes, thinks that they may kiss after this. But, oh no, the ground is filled with kryptonite! (laughs) Clark passes out, and Lois is furious. Clark, are you fainting in fright at the earthquake? Bah! You're still a sissy! And I want to know what ice-cold shrew of a woman yells at an unconscious man after her earthquake <laughs> while they're both dying. They get rescued by a helicopter, and Crypto flies off in search of yet another plan. So this time he goes to the Swiss Alps. That hotbed of love. Where we uh, see Heidi get proposed to, and... Two onlookers are enamored with the love that they view, and they get proposed as well. That other girl is also named Heidi. So, this gives Crypto an idea. If he can find some way to mack another dog in front of Lois and Superman, surely they'll look at that and think, Hmm. So, Lois coincidentally adopts a dog named Beauty, and Crypto is like, I am going to uh, collect all the buried bones that I can find and deliver them to this dog to make her fall in love with me. I have to say, the image of Crypto smiling with this pan filled with dozens and dozens of bones is kind of horrifying. (laughs) So he brings her this giant pan of bones, and she does fall in love with him because Beauty is a materialistic bitch. Jesus Christ. Is she any better than Lois in this story? She was swooning over coconuts. (laughs) She falls in love with Crypto, and uh, it actually works. Superman starts to have some feelings in his tummy until a bunch of dogs break free from the dog catcher and see the giant pile of bones and attack. And this scares Superman off again, because if there's anything that Superman doesn't like, it is stray animals. Uh, how easily upset is Superman's funk in the story? Uh, you think he's in bed with Lois at one point, then he, he hears a car backfire, he's like, nope, I can't do it. And just to nail home how awful this story is for Lois, her dog gets confiscated by the dog catcher as well. <laughs> and so Crypto is fed up at this point. Because Superman is too stubborn, so he growls and decides that he is now Lois Lane's dog. (laughs) And we get my favorite panel in comic book history, as of today. (laughs) Crypto, what are you doing with Lois? You're my dog! Not anymore, Superman. Crypto doesn't want to live with a bachelor all his life. He'll never have any kids to play with. He's my dog now. And Crypto is wearing a blue turtleneck with his eyes closed and his nose pointed up to the sky. Hmm. The sass of Crypto in this panel. And then the next moment, we get a panel with a police officer stopping Superman and Lois. 
asking whose dog it is, and Lois immediately says it's hers, and Crypto growls at Superman, so the cop is convinced that it is in fact hers, because it wouldn't growl at its owner like that. And Superman audibly winks at the camera and says, who's arguing? The lady is absolutely right, officer. It is her dog. To which the officer writes her a ticket because Superman doesn't put a license on Crypto's dog collar. The end. That's the note the story ends on. (laughs) Superman breaks Lois Lane's heart and then gets her into legal trouble. God, what if she couldn't pay the fine and she was sent to jail? Oh, I'm sorry, Lois. I don't date common criminals. Ha ha ha. Superman away. All right. That brings us to Action Comics number 272. Uh, the story inside this one is the second Supergirl. It was cover dated January 1961, uh, written by Otto Bender, drawn by Jim Mooney. And the orphanage hijinks are an undercooked roast. That was put in the oven too late, so Supergirl uses her heat vision to finish cooking it. And what's special about this is Supergirl does not do this like in a secluded area with everyone's back turned. She just does it while the lady's holding it. Linda just straight up uses her heat vision to cook a pot roast right in front of someone because she has officially ran out of goofs to give. To be fair, in the Silver Age, the heat vision wasn't red beams of light like it is in later years, but... Still. She's still cooking something in front of somebody's horrified eyes. And once again, I'm still convinced everyone in this orphanage knows she's Supergirl. They just all feel sorry for her. Then we get uh, a science class, and I use the term <laughs> very, very loosely. Today we're going to teach you about how the Earth was created 2,000 years ago by God. So... The lesson that they learn is that everybody on the planet has a double somewhere. I just want to know, what is the practical use of the science lesson? They're preparing them for the day when they all must go out as an adults and prove themselves by killing their double? Well, the point is that it gives Supergirl an idea that there might be a double of the planet Earth somewhere. So she figures it out that there is a planet that is almost exactly like Earth. Using Superman's as plotoscope. Including two persons with superpowers. Because this is Silver Age DC and there are only two people with superpowers on the planet. Hey, this is the same continuity that gave us Batman meeting the Batman of Zur and R. Which is essentially what this story is. This is the Supergirl of Zur and R. Just with a less yes. colorful costume. So... She flies to the planet Terra, because that's original. And it's flabbergasted that in this counter-Earth, their Florida is three times the size of ours, which is one strike against it already. Yeah, that's horrifying, because Florida is a terrible, terrible place. (laughs) So, the second thing she notices is that the Statue of Liberty on this planet holds a banner instead of a torch, and the Eiffel Tower is in America instead of France. And, most important of all, classy, urbane women walk around holding leashes. With elephants. Tiny little pygmy elephants. I want a little bitty elephant, Corey. I want one so bad. Are you sure you do? Because Supergirl will probably punch it at some point because she hates elephants. It would be worth it. Plus, it would never forget me. And then, 
she finds out that on this planet, tigers are tiny and timid like rabbits. Well, the rabbit is terrifying and looks like it has tiger stripes. We will show you the tiger rabbit <laughs> in the show notes. It looks like something out of a Mobius drawing. It is so, It is the thing of nightmares. Sci-Fi Channel presents an original movie, Tiger Rabbit, this Saturday. Supergirl's about to save people from the Tiger Rabbit that breaks free, when instead, here comes Marvel Maid, which is just Supergirl with an emblem that has MM on her chest instead of S. She's actually bought and paid for by the Mars Company. Supergirl finds out that Marvel Maid's Fortress of Solitude is actually a satellite in space. As far as fortresses go, the Fortress of Marvels kicks the Fortress of Solitude's ass. It still has the giant key, but this one is hung on a radioactive rock. Supergirl meets Marvel Maid inside and finds out her origin story, which is that she comes from inside the planet Terra, from an underground colony that got destroyed by a cavern collapse, and she was sent to the surface in a boring rocket. Where, upon reaching the surface, she was adopted by a friendly couple. And I don't... I, uh, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I feel like... Okay, a rocket falls from the sky, crashes on the ground, you and your wife see it, you adopt the kid. I can buy that. If I see a drill burrow from underneath the earth and a baby climbs out, I am running like hell. <laughs> Good things come from the sky. Nothing comes from the earth's core. And uh, Oh, God, it's a mole man. And, of course, Marvel Maid has all the same powers as Supergirl. And we find out that Marvel Maid's secret identity is Leah Lindy, which is just a flip of Linda Lee. <laughs> And she works at the Daily Planet offices in Macropolis for her boss, who is just Perry White. He is an exact double of Perry White, because Perry White is apparently a fixed point in time and space. Uh, Supergirl takes the place of Marvel Maid while she goes back in time, and uh, is thrilled because she can work openly, because Marvel Maid is known to the people of Terra. And she goes to save a ship from crashing into an iceberg by using her supervision to melt the iceberg, but instead it bursts into flames. Just then, we cut to a prison cell where Clark Kent stands, pulling off his prison uniform to reveal his costume underneath, and all I can think is, finally a planet where justice has prevailed. <laughs> and he goes through his trapdoor tunnel in his jail cell, because that's a thing that would go by unnoticed in a jail cell, I guess? They're all too afraid of him. And puts out the flames on the iceberg and saves the ship, and introduces himself as Marvel Man, who was also sent out of the core of the Earth, but his rocket borer got stuck and left him in suspended animation until one day he burst out of it and found Marvel Maid. I have to say, the panel of Terra Clark bursting out of his pod in shredded man-baby clothes is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> because he's just wearing a child's clothes, but he's aged to a man. <laughs> I want to see this panel drawn by Christopher Anka. 
Superman no understand surface world. Wow. <laughs> Which is pretty much what happens. He has no idea how to control his superpowers and breaks a tree. At which point Marvel Maid tells him that he must remain unknown to the people of Terra, and he has to be her secret weapon. But since he's an adult, he can't get sent to an orphanage like Supergirl, so she sends him to prison instead. Which I feel like is a pretty blatant commentary on Linda's position. <laughs> What's the man equivalent of an orphanage? Oh, a prison. And we find out that his secret identity is Ken Clark, and... We find out that the reason he is in jail is that he has no identification papers. Which everyone requires on Terra, because they're apparently some kind of weird dystopian future. So we find out that he keeps his secret identity by pretending to be the weakest prisoner in the prison, which then goes and works against him, because there is Dr. Erskine here who wants <laughs> to... uh test his super soldier serum on the weakest prisoner. And Supergirl, as Marvel made, knows that this would blow his secret identity because a hypodermic needle would not penetrate his skin, so she blows down with her super breath to make it look like he's stronger than he's pretending to be. And Dr. Erskine goes and finds a different test subject. And this is just never mentioned again. I have all the things they could have put forward for the scenario to happen. They went with Super Soldier Serum. Like, were they building a, a separate Terra universe? Like, was that in the works? <laughs> and then we get an audible wink from King Clark as he realizes that Supergirl has saved his secret identity. And I just want to say, I don't know about you, Corey, but... I find this to be a legitimately interesting take on the Superman mythos, and I want to see Grant Morrison make this canon. I, it, it is. It is a very fun story, and it continues with a meteor knocking the Fortress of Marvels out of the sky and sending it crashing to Earth, and Supergirl says that Marvel Man should save the Fortress from crashing because Marvel Maid might decide that his training period is over if he does that. Oh boy, mommy might let me outside. Supergirl offers to distract the family at the farmhouse, and she does so by grabbing a chunk of coal out of their shed and turning it into a diamond and chucking it into their garden so that it distracts them. To which Supergirl thinks, huh, trust a woman to know a diamond when she sees one. Thanks, Ghost Rider Mort Weisinger. But then when Supergirl returns to Marvel Man, she finds that the fortress has crashed and he feels weak because... In a plot twist, diamonds are the Marvel's kryptonite. And we find out that the reason that the woman was so taken aback by the diamond was because she was worried about it, and she has called for the Diamond Demolition Squad. God, could you imagine Marvel Man and Marvel Maid battling Elizabeth Taylor? God, she would rule that town overnight. I, I mean, we do get a panel of Liz Taylor getting her necklace confiscated by the police. So There's a definite likeness there. God, that's that's what starts their rivalry. It's like Superboy burning off Lex Luthor's hair. <laughs> so that is the end of this issue, which leads us directly into the next issue. That's right, it's our first Silver Age two-parter. Hey, we're growing. And this is Action Comics number 273, The Supergirl of Two Worlds, cover dated February 1961 by Otto Bender and Jim Mooney. And the story opens with a recap of the previous issue, which once again reminds us that 
the Florida on Terra is much larger than on Earth, because that is infinitely more impressive than the horrifying multi-beasts of the last story. Or the flaming icebergs. Or the diamond sickness. So, the story opens with Marvel Man and Supergirl repairing the Fortress of Marvels and putting everything back the way it was, and then learning more about the weirdness of this solar system. How odd. The Mars of your solar system has rings like our Saturn, and your Jupiter has more than one red spot, leading to the most diseased-looking Jupiter I've ever seen. I thank God ours doesn't look like that. And the planets are labeled, and the only thing different about their names are that Mars is named Ringed Mars, (laughs) and Jupiter is named Spotted Jupiter. Well... We've learned that Supergirl has this OCD need to label everything she comes into contact with, so I'm sure she pulled a Sharpie out of her belt and just wrote that herself, so she wouldn't get confused. Speaking of labeling, the next thing we see is a mystery weapon. This is a death ray that Superman once flung into space that went so far across the cosmos, it wound up on Terra. And this is the first panel of many over my rereading of the Silver Age Supergirl comics that I sent to my friend Maddie because she is a very large Lex Luthor fan because Lex Luthor has etched his own face into his super weapon. That is how arch Lex Luthor is. He not only engraves his signature on each and every one of his death rays, his signature is actually a portrait of himself. (laughs) So, Ken Clark returns to his prison cell and recaps his origin that he has no identification papers, so he was arrested. And one day, a nice couple will come along and pay his bail. But only when Marvel Maid allows it. (laughs) And then Marvel Maid returns from her trip to the past and tells her that, well, the Fortress of Marvels crashed, it was her fault. And Marvel Maid, in true super jerk fashion, says, You're just taking the blame to help him prove he's trained enough to be my super teammate, huh? At which point, Marvel Maid shows that she is nicer than super jerk and says, Maybe you can convince Superman if you keep substituting for me here. I'll watch my monitor screen as you patrol Terra in my place. So her version of being nice is just saying, Maybe I'll help out your friend. If you do my work for me and I sit in my fortress and watch TV. Commit deeds in my name for my own amusement. The first of such feats is a crashing space capsule. Which Supergirl is able to rescue. And upon doing so, looks inside with her x-ray vision and thinks, Pardon me, the first astronautus. Some things on Terra sure are different from on Earth. They chose a girl as their Space Columbus. And I don't know which is a better title to have, Astronautus or Space Columbus. Why not both? And Marvel Maid congratulates her and tells her that she's going to Earth right now to tell Superman that she doesn't need any more training. And Marvel Maid goes down to Earth and checks in on the Linda Lee robot scanning its chest to make sure that its robot motor is working fine, or at least that's what her thought bubble says, because going by the art, it just looks like she is checking out those boobs so hard it has motion lines. (laughs) And then Marvel Maid takes off from Metropolis to find Superman, and passes by 
the Silver Age DC Universe's version of Mount Rushmore. Which is Superman and Crypto carved in the side of the mountain. And, once again, because of her OCD, Supergirl has also carved the words Superman and Crypto underneath them. A uh, place for everything and everything in its place. Marvel Maid saves a cable car from a lightning strike, and Superman oversaw it, decides that she has had enough training, and he will reveal her existence to the world without letting her tell him that she's not actually Supergirl. Yeah, every time that Marvel Maid tries to talk, Superman's just like, no buts about it, Supergirl. He is Superman-splaining. He's mansplaining at quantum speed! He shows her his army of Superman robots, and then shows her her own army of Supergirl robots. Which he had stashed away for the day when Supergirl deserved them. And I have to say, as far as things to hold over people go, like you do not get better than, well, I was going to give you an army of super robots, but... Now I'm having second thoughts. Oh, come on, Superman, I'll do the dishes. Give me the army of super robots. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you're sorry. He also made a highlight reel of her deeds since she arrived on Earth two years ago. I secretly took movies of super feats you did in the past, Supergirl. I'll release these films to theaters all over the world. Superman has been secretly taping Supergirl without her permission all this time, but... Yeah, we're just going to skirt over that one, I guess. And then finally, Marvel Maid tells him the truth, that she is the exact double of his cousin from the planet Terra, but she was coming to tell him that Supergirl is ready. And she regales him with the tales of all of the things that Supergirl did on this counter-Earth. Then they tune into the planet Terra, where they see Supergirl noticing a bridge collapsing, so she dives under it and lifts it out of the water, only for us to find out that on the planet Terra, the drawbridge is working reverse, where they go underwater instead of raising above it for ships to pass under. Which is not efficient or safe in any way. I really want to say something to the engineers on Terra, but I, I don't know if the tiger rabbits that secretly control that world would allow me. Marvel Man notices what's happening and goes and saves the ship from crashing into the newly raised bridge. And Superman gets frustrated that Supergirl pulled a big boo-boo. But Marvel Maid points out that she actually saved a car full of people whose car stalled on the bridge. Then flies off and tells Superman to give Supergirl the credit she deserves. The boo-boos don't count, since she had no way of knowing that these things on the planet were different. So we come back to Terra, and Marvel Maid tells Marvel Man and Supergirl that she is going to finally introduce him to the world, because saving that cruise liner was the final straw that broke the camel's back. The camel's super back. And we immediately cut to Marvel Man's big day, where, in a Macropolis stadium... He appears before a crowd, wielding absurd dumbbells. Not only absurd dumbbells, but also an absurd two-ton block that he just lifts over his head. Look at me! Strength! And Supergirl flies off and thinks about, Golly, I'll have the same thrill when I reach Earth. Thanks to Marvel Maid, she convinced Superman I'm ready to be revealed to Earth's people but returns to the Fortress of Solitude to see Superman locking away his many Supergirl robots into 
I, I what I guess is a closet. It's it's really weird. It's like just a green wall, and then there's just what appears to be a wood panel. Yes. Yeah, and he chastises her for not knowing about this other planet because, of course, the first thing he would do when he visits another planet is to spend an hour in the library learning everything he can about the planet. Superman punishes his cousin for not having an intimate knowledge of how an alternate world worked. I didn't think it was possible, but I think Super Jerk has out-super-jerked himself. Like, this is legit gaslighting. He makes her feel bad that she didn't know these things. And the last page of the story is her just sitting on her bed, and she's actually smiling. I goofed, but at least I know that my cousin Superman is rooting for me. Someday, when I'm really ready, he'll be happy to make me his super partner. And I'm disturbed because at this point she's internalized the abuse and thinks it's love. Yeah, yeah. And then the next page we cut to is a page where we get to pick the new hairstyle for Linda Supergirl Lee. And those potential hairstyles are Ponytail Sophisticate. Which is what she already wears. Lori Lamaris Special. Which is exactly the same haircut that Lori Lamaris of Atlantis has. Kitten Cut. Which is also nicknamed the Streaky. Campus Cuddle Bun. Which is my favorite. And the finest name, Contempo Cut. Which is perfect for sitting next to a record player, apparently. So people could write in to DC to choose which one of these hairstyles she would go with. Because many people had been writing in to complain that as a 16-year-old girl, she shouldn't be wearing pigtails anymore. I just like the sharp decline in tone of DC's audience participation plot developments. In just a couple of decades, we went to pick out a new hairstyle for Supergirl to How badly do you want to see Robin get it? And I mean, in between the pick out a new hairstyle was a send your own ideas for Supergirl's costume and you may see it in print. Like, that is something that we will get to in the early 70s, where every issue she has a different costume because all of these little girls were sending in their own costume designs. And it's amazing. At one point, she just wears a Wonder Woman costume. That brings us to the last story we're going to talk about today. Supergirl's Three Time Trips. This was in Action Comics number 274, published with a cover date of March 1961 by Jerry Siegel and Jim Mooney. Now, I just want to take a minute to unpack the splash page we're looking at here. <laughs> Supergirl is breaking free from ropes that are tying her to a wooden stake that she's currently being burned at like a witch, while wearing a Native American feather headdress, what appears to be a Silver Age representation of what... <laughs> A warring tribe of Native Americans would look like stands around her, running in fear as one of them wearing what appears to be a papier-mâché devil head points to her and says, Our arrows are useless against Pocahontas' spirit. Uh... To which Supergirl thinks, <laughs> Little do these Indian savages know, oh. but the spirit of Pocahontas is me, Supergirl! And I have never been more ashamed to read comics in my life. <laughs> oh. Going immediately from that outrage is something I found equally outrageous. 
which is the opening <laughs> panel of Linda watching two young men swim in the orphanage's pool. Because orphanages have Olympic-sized swimming pools. My school made you bring your own toilet paper, and this orphanage has a pool. So we find out that the famous swimming champion John Stark, huh, winter is coming. (gasps) No, don't go with him. (laughs) Is interested in adopting young Eddie Moran, and they're getting acquainted in the orphanage pool. And this Olympic medal winning swimmer gets a cramp in the (laughs) orphanage's swimming pool. I knew I shouldn't have sampled those complimentary crackers. And screams that he needs help or he'll drown because he can't get to the shallow end. Hey, that's what happened to Michael Phelps. Dropped dead in the middle of the last Olympic Games due to a life-ending cramp. (laughs) So Eddie Moran jumps in to save him, and Supergirl realizes that he's not strong enough to pull the Olympic swimmer out of the pool, so she goes and helps him. (laughs) Which is the most bizarre thing in the world. (laughs) Because Supergirl in full costume is under the water, guiding them out of the pool. Just wrestling with these two half-naked men in the water. (laughs) And sure enough, the Olympic swimmer adopts Eddie for saving him. And he says, you saved my life, son. My wife and I will sign the adoption papers, okay? Oh, yes, sir. I mean, dad. And they're both naked and wet and smile. And then in their history class, Linda gets assigned the job of writing an essay on the famous person of the past that she would most like to be. And she narrows it down to three people, Annie Oakley, Betsy Ross, or Pocahontas. You know, the three girls in history. Well, to be fair... On the other sides of those three books are books about Helen Troy, Joan of Arc, and Cleopatra. So there were three more she had to choose from. I'm sorry, the six girls who were in history. (laughs) And Linda decides to cheat on her homework and go back in time. Once again, encountering more quantum litter along the way. God damn it, Booster. And she arrives at the Annie Oakley Old West Show. But as Annie Oakley is doing her signature ride two horses simultaneously upside down trick, that old chestnut, (laughs) Supergirl notices that Annie Oakley is sweating somehow, as if she was performing some kind of physically taxing action. But that's not right. And it turns out that Annie Oakley has been stricken with a terrible fever, and Buffalo Bill is pulling her out of that night's performance, which is unfortunate because Beckett Dagger will be in the audience today. When we were kids, she looked down her nose at me like I was trash. Just because I was poor and never wore fancy dresses. This is my chance to prove I'm as good as she is. Help me to the hotel so I can get some rest before the show. And I sympathize because I, too, have long dreamt of one day showing up my high school rivals via a traveling Wild West show. Haven't we all? And so she goes to sleep and is sleeping through the beginning of her act, so Supergirl decides that she will pretend to be Annie Oakley. And screw with the timeline. Supergirl performs Annie Oakley's part in the Wild West show beautifully, performing feats that a normal country girl could only hope to achieve, when suddenly she's stricken by, Surprise, Kryptonite! Ah! And sees two cowpokes standing on a gigantic green boulder. But kryptonite didn't exist in the 1800s. What the goof? (laughs) So 
she finishes the show from a distance and then leaves right as Annie Oakley is making her recovery and runs into Becky, who apologizes to her and they become best of friends. A friendship that will last the ages. Or at least until Annie Oakley dies in like four years. They made up for lost time, Corey. And so Supergirl goes back in time even further to 1776 to watch Betsy Ross make the first American flag. And as it's getting delivered to General Washington, a gust of wind picks it up and blows it into a brush fire. No! So Supergirl steals a British flag and a scarecrow's jacket. And then changes the shape of the scarecrow's head to make him look intimidating because she just has time on her hands, apparently. Also, I like to think that changing that scarecrow's face created a butterfly effect that led to Lex Luthor becoming president. Uh, yeah, that that could be a thing. So she uses the red and white threads from the British flag and the blue threads from the jacket to recreate the flag, and she has to remember to only put 13 stars on it because... The current flag has 50 on it. 51, God willing. And then blows it away from the brush fire back into the messenger's arms, and it gets delivered to George Washington, who is sitting on... Surprise, Kryptonite! Ah! And again, she's confounded because Krypton hasn't exploded yet, so there can't be Kryptonite. And she decides to fly back in time even further to 1607 which is where this story gets really, really, really problematic. Yeah, we are about to go into some inappropriate history here, because Supergirl just happens to wander directly into the execution of John Smith, and we are treated to this exact exchange. Uh... The executioner lifts up his axe, Pocahontas walks up, do not slay the white man, mighty Chief Powhatan. The pale face will not die, daughter, thanks to your plea. I have to say, the Disney movie made that look way more dramatic than it actually was. <laughs> or this made it look way less dramatic. But we get our drama because just one panel later, Pocahontas is kidnapped by a rival tribe. And they take her to a hut where they're going to execute her unless... Her tribe surrenders the hunting grounds. And this order is carried out by their chief, Crazy Antelope. And I think Chief Crazy Antelope just beat out Space Columbus as the greatest title one could have. Oh god, what if Space Columbus met Crazy Antelope? Oh god, would Space Columbus wipe out Crazy Antelope's people with the mysterious space virus that Supergirl used to kill the Kents? Also known as smallpox? I feel like we need one of those big conspiracy boards with all the little pieces of string tying together all the newspaper articles. It's a photo of uh, Harrison Wells in the middle. So, Supergirl saves Pocahontas by filling her wigwam with smoke and burrowing her out of there in true Supergirl fashion, and then takes her place, culturally appropriating the headband from Pocahontas, and they think that the Great Spirit just transformed Pocahontas into a 16-year-old white girl in a cape. And then they try to kill her. And we get one more badass sequence of Supergirl just walking casually while arrows bounce off of her. A tomahawk flies past her head and actually hurts her as it cuts her headband off of her head. 
But how could that be, unless the tomahawk was made of... <gasps> Surprise, kryptonite! <gasps> and like she did in the past two stories, she immediately runs away from the surprised kryptonite and goes back to the present where she tells Superman of her horrifying discovery. And of course, Superman knows exactly what happened. Which is, he chucked a nuke <laughs> into the stratosphere, and it blew up around a green kryptonite meteor and sent the pieces flying through the time stream, because that's what nukes do. <laughs> well, that explains everything. Which Superman says, what a startling complication. So the next day, in the classroom, the teacher asks the girls which characters they've chosen, and the first three girls all answer with Supergirl's choices, because, of course, they couldn't have more than one, so... She's not going to get adopted with that attitude, Corey. Right. So, Supergirl quickly scans a distant library book and writes another essay at super speed about Joan of Arc, one of the only ones that she didn't go back in time to view. Specifically, Joan of Arc, the only girl in history to lead an army, which I don't think is true, but then again, we've seen their science classes, so... <laughs> so their history classes are probably very similar. Uh, to which Linda says, An ironic ending to my most mysterious adventure. The end. Next issue, Linda travels back to 20,000 BC and encounters the lost city of Hiroshima. Next time on Supergirl. And so for our super female segment, we are actually going to do two letters this month. Uh, the first of which is one of the many letters that led to our one-page spread last issue with the different hairstyles. Dear Editor, what kind of a teenager is Linda, Supergirl, Lee, anyhow? Most of my friends would rather die than be caught in pigtails. How about a change in her hairstyle? Carol Berg, Wilmette, Illinois. Alright. Now that Linda Lee has passed the age of 16, we'll ask her creator, artist James Mooney, to visit a few beauty parlors for inspiration as to a new hairdo for our favorite superheroine. So... I want you to look back at that panel and think. All of those hairstyles, including the streaky, just came from Jim Moody creeping around some beauty parlors one afternoon. <laughs> Hello, would you like hair like Supergirl? The next one we have for you starts off with, Dear Editor, I think your letter page is a fake, because none of my letters have been printed thus far. If it isn't, I dare you to print this letter. Calvin Rush, Ottawa, New Hampshire. And immediately following that is, Dear Editor, this is just to let all your readers know that your letters columns are not rigged or gimmicked in any way whatsoever. You merely choose the best and most interesting letters from the many thousands you receive every month. Our statement was not influenced at all by the fact that you have published seven of our postcards so far in either Metropolis Mailbag or the Smallville Mail Sack. Tom and John McGeehan, Santa Ana, California. The above two letters speak for themselves. <laughs> The cheek of it. <laughs> like, I love the sass that Mort Weisinger had in his letter columns. Especially considering Weisinger was just talking to ten-year-olds. Right? <laughs> a day without making a child cry was a day without sunshine for Mort Weisinger. Sigh. That was it for us this month. We will be coming back at you next month with more Silver Age goodness. As we get closer and closer to the time when Linda, Supergirl, Lee will finally get adopted for realsies. 
and not by a crooked archaeologist. In the meantime, I've been Corey. You can find me on Twitter at CoreyMarie21 or on Tumblr at FYASupergirl. You can also find our as-mentioned posts at SupergirlPowerHour.com, which is powered by Tumblr. And you can find us on Twitter at SGirlPowerHour and on Facebook as SupergirlPowerHour. And you can find me on several other podcasts on the Pulp Podcast Network, most notably Graphic Novelism, where every month me and a few friends of mine sit down and discuss uh, cultural issues surrounding the world of comic books, as well as extensive audio documentaries on the history of comic books. This month we just dropped part three of a four-part series concerning the greatest comic book stories never told. Dun, dun, dun. And you can check us out on the recently launched Graphic Novelism Twitter. social media (laughs) so for this and all of our shows just be sure to uh, like comment and subscribe if you like what you hear send us a little fan mail we promise we won't get sassy with you i can't make that promise and until next month stay mighty peace superman no And speed! Whee! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself... We now have the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- I don't think so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn? He has Angela, who's, like, Lady Hercules. Yeah, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's as Guardian, I think it's it's fair play, so... Hey, she's not technically as Guardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>